Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute, where we explore discipleship of the heart and mind. And today, uh, our podcast uh, is drawn from an older podcast conversation I did with Andy Bannister several years ago. I've had several conversations with Andy that we've been using for uh, our podcasts this year because they were so good and so rich. And Andy, um, he's the director of Solus uh, Apologetics Ministry, um, but he has a PhD in Islamic study, which is a rather unusual thing for a Christian. But uh, Andy has studied uh, Islam and Muslim thinking uh, perhaps more than uh, just about any Christian, and he knows how to interact with them. And our conversation explored um, Islam and how to talk to a Muslim about Jesus. So uh, join us now as we jump into the middle of this conversation about reaching Muslims with the gospel. So you're a Christian, you're a Christian apologist, you're a full-time evangelist, and you have a PhD in Islamic studies. How did that happen? It's a strange world, uh, Randy. Well, the simple answer is I, I just ticked the wrong box on the university application form. Oh, okay. Three months in before I realized this was Arabic, I was reading not New Testament Greek. No, the serious answer is that all those things are connected, which is interesting. So back in the late 1990s, I was a youth worker working for a group of churches uh, in London and hadn't really thought about, about public evangelism or apologetics or certainly Islam. And then one day a gentleman came to our church and did a seminar on understanding and reaching Muslims. And in part of that seminar, he described how every Sunday afternoon, he was going up to a place called Speaker's Corner, which is part of one of our big parks in London, where you can stand on a ladder or a box and talk about anything and get a crowd, a very famous part of the part of Hyde Park. And he, he was finding it was a great place to witness to Muslims. And so he was leading a team of people doing that. And uh, he was very persuasive, very engaging speaker. So, uh, he said, so I sort of I thought I'd go and see what this looked like. In fact, he said to me, why don't you come to Speaker's Corner, see what we do. So the following week, I turned up at the the train station at Speaker's Corner uh, to be met by Jay carrying not one, but two stepladders. And I said to him, why are you carrying two ladders? He went, one is for me, one is for you. I said, I thought you should come and see what we do. He went, yeah, the view from a ladder is much better, especially (laughs) especially at your diminutive height. So um, I said, I've never preached on the street before. Oh, it's easy. I've never talked to Muslims before. Oh, they're easy. Both those things were not True. Okay, so this um, man was lying to he you. He was lying to me. And uh, so I got on my ladder and uh, they tore me to pieces. The Muslims destroyed me. I remember going home from Speaker's Corner um, thinking, I guess I need to become a Muslim because they seem to have all the answers <laughs> like nothing. Um, mm. I laid awake that night tossing and turning and thinking this through. About three in the morning, my long-suffering wife Astrid pokes me in the ribs and says, why are you tossing and turning, keeping us both awake? Told her my story and her sage words of wisdom were, why don't you read a book? Ideally in the morning, not at 3 a.m. So the following morning, I went to the local Christian bookstore, told them my story, and they, saw, and they, they told me, you need apologetics. And I thought this sounded like a breakfast cereal. I've never heard of this before. Mm. But uh, they explained what apologetics was, bought my first few books, started reading, read and read and read, got answers to every question. Um, went back to Speaker's Corner a few weeks later and uh, ready to, for, to answer them. And, of course, they had new questions. I look foolish all over again. For the next three months, we would do this. I would read during the weeks, go to Speaker's Corner on the weekends. And through this, God did a number of things. He gave me a love of public evangelism, a love of kind of reading deeply, and a love of sharing my faith with, with Muslims. And I hadn't been to university at this point. I was 28. I didn't come from a university kind of going family. But really, the Lord used this to draw me into uh, further study. Eventually, first, firstly, a degree, and then that became a PhD. So it was Muslims at Speaker's Corner in London 
Um, mm. that's, that's, that set all of those pieces up for me. How about that? Wow. So, um, but, um, so how much of your ministry, if, if it's possible to put, I don't know, percentages, how, how much of it is talking specifically to Muslims? 17.42% right Oh, good. Thank you. No, sorry. All, <laughs> you know, 40, 43% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Um, <laughs> no, that's a very good question. I don't actually know. I would, I would probably say maybe about 20%. Uh-huh. Um, where that comes through for me is, um, you know, when you do evangelism in, in multicultural settings, especially university campuses, there are often Muslims in the audience. Um, and so I love that when that happens because I can bring that to bear. If, they, if I talk to them afterwards, they ask a question in Q&A. Sometimes when I, we work with campus ministries and do you know, events on campus, we will often do topics that touch into this area. Um, and then I always get some really unusual opportunities. The PhD has opened up incredible opportunities. My favorite one was, uh, was uh, earlier this year, I got, a, got a, a call from the Islamic Society at Edinburgh University who were looking to do some, as they put it, interfaith events. And they'd heard that I was a Christian with a PhD in Islam, which they couldn't figure out. And they said, would I come and talk about my, my work on the, my study on the Quran? And I remember saying to them, I said, well, you do know my conclusions are different to yours. They went, no, that's fine. I mean, as long as you can do it <laughs> respectfully. I went, absolutely. Uh-huh. So I did and did it quite respectfully. But then the Q&A was still very lively. Um, but amazing opportunity. We had about 40 people there that night, mostly Muslim. And I still remember most of the questions in that very long Q&A were around the identity of Jesus and the Trinity. And, and it was a real privilege. And the evening, the the head of the Islamic Society came up to me and he said, he said, you know, it's the first time I've ever heard a Christian talk about the Trinity in a way it makes sense. I can see why you would believe it. I have always thought it was incoherent and I realized I was wrong. He said, I don't believe it, but I can see why you mm. would. And I thought, praise oh the Lord, that made that worthwhile. So that was an opportunity that having that kind of specialism opens up. Mm. Well, so I, I think this is uh, intriguing and helpful because I, I think some people who... Um, speak about how do Christians talk to Muslims are people who spend all of their time with Muslims. And in an odd way, they may be too immersed in mm-hmm. that world. Yeah. You um, spend a fair amount of time talking to Muslims, but you're talking to lots of people yes. from lots of different backgrounds. And uh, you've lived in London, which has a significant Muslim population, mm-hmm. but um, but you've never lived in the Middle East. or uh, so, so this is actually a plus, I think, because you're, you're sort of in that world and then you step out of it to be able to look at it from a vantage point, which is where most of our listeners, I think, are going to be. Um, but we're, we're all meeting more and more Muslims in our world. They, they, they don't just live far away. They live next door. Um, that's, that's the reality of our world. So... Um, at the risk of driving uh, some of our uh, uh, listeners away, tell me about this PhD dissertation a little bit. What did you zoom in on? Uh-huh. So it's scary to ask a PhD person. I, I mean, exactly. But, so for listeners who are scared, I by noticed this. by the way that you're you're wearing a button that says "Ask me about my dissertation," and and I'm ignoring that. Just kidding. Absolutely. Have to do that. One of the things so, I, I I found hugely amusing actually during the time I was doing my doctoral kind of work was that um, you would talk to other students doing doing PhDs and other subjects and neither of us could understand each other. So they right. would explain what I was doing yeah. and I thought it was very important and they would get their eyes glazed over. Then they would tell me what they were doing on the New Testament or something like that. Huh? Um, All right, so, so maybe I should rephrase the word. Um, answer uh, my question briefly and in a way that, that people will understand. What did you study? Yeah, so in a nutshell, when um, one of the things that I was intrigued by when I was at Speaker's Corner all those years ago, Randy, one of the question, one of the things that Muslims would often say to me was, well, look, the Quran is a miracle, 
because Muhammad was an illiterate um, 7th century Arab man. He couldn't read or write, yet the Quran is this very sophisticated work of literature, therefore it's a miracle. Um, and if you think about those, those three statements, if they all hang together, that's actually, that is actually quite impressive. How could a 7th century illiterate man who could read or write produce something like the, the Quran? And I remember that really sort of intrigued me back then. Well, as I began doing sort of further study in Islam and uh, around this whole question, um, as I was going into my PhD years, I came across the fact there are lots of cultures in the world that have bequeathed to us very sophisticated works of literature, but they didn't have reading or writing. Perhaps the most famous example would be um, the Greek poet Homer, not the little yellow guy, but um, Homer, the Greek poet. <laughs> uh, two, two famous poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey, which most people have probably not read but may have heard of, probably the founding texts of, of, of Western literature. They come from a time before writing. So how did he do it? And it's, well, it turns out there are tools and techniques that allow you as an oral speaker, oral preacher, oral storyteller, to, to, to construct really quite long works of, 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 of quote-unquote literature without having access to reading and writing. And you're often doing that live in front of an audience. And what becomes quite fun, when that work is eventually written down, it's passed down orally, but then when it comes to be written down, it actually leaves, there are signs left in the written text that it was originally constructed this way. And, uh, in a, and there's a whole field of study called oral literary theory that's devoted to that. And we know of hundreds of cultures around the world that have done this. Well, my PhD basically came along and went, let's apply that to the Quran. And when you do it, all the features we see in those other traditions are there in the Quran. In other words, the Quran looks like a document that was originally composed orally, performed orally, transmitted orally, and then eventually written down into writing. So it's not a, it's not a miracle. It looks exactly like we'd expect a 7th century um, book from that context hmm. to look like. So it really takes, the, takes all of the wind out of the sails of that, of that apologetic argument. So that was my, my PhD in a nutshell. Wow. Wow. So it's interesting. The, the argument that the Quran is the work of, it, 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 it's not a miracle. It's not, it's not an inexplicable miracle. Harms, that argu, uh, har, harms the argument about the Quran. With the Bible, we fully believe it is inspired by God. Uh, it is inerrant. It is authoritative. But he used human yeah. personality, uh, uh, good language skills, and so the, the, the human aspect of the Bible doesn't weaken our argument. We believe it is this uh, absolutely miraculous work, but it is the work of people with individual writing skills and different personalities, and, but yeah. that's another podcast. Back to Islam. Back to Islam. Um, so I, I think uh, so many Christians are so very intimidated about beginning a conversation with Muslims. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, very few of our listeners are gonna go get a PhD in Islamic studies. I'm, I'm, I'm not motivated by you. I'm, I'm thrilled that you did it, but I'm not gonna go do that. Very wise. So, um, but I wanna have conversations with Muslims. How, how do I even start? That's, that's a really good question, and I love the fact you grounded it in, in saying to people, don't go do that. Well, I would say two things to that, actually. I would say, for anybody listening to this show who is wired in a way that they do want to pursue kind of further study, we do need more Christians to get involved in Islamic studies. Mm, great, um, great. One of the things that persuaded me to, actually, was when I was thinking about doctoral work. I remember a, uh, a friend of mine who was a professor saying, well, look, Andy, you could go and do your PhD in New Testament studies and spend you know, eight years investigating you know, John's use of the semicolon in the first verse of his gospel, 
Um, but Greek didn't have punctuation anyway, so that's who you really are. You know? <laughs> oh, you're short for dissertation. Pretty short dissertation. There's no semicolon there. And it's completely there. pointless. Or you could do something meaningful with your research. And so I often encourage, so if there are people who are thinking about, oh, I want to do doctoral work, and there are students listening to this, I don't know what, do Islamic studies. We need more Christians going to that field. But most of us are not called to do that. So how do we start conversations with our, with our friends? Do you know, this is where actually knowing nothing about Islam or very little can be a huge gift. Because mm. one of the dangers, you alluded to this at the start, with people who do nothing more than talk to Muslims. You know, even I, who only spend 17.43% of my time, whatever that ludicrous stat was I made up, talking to Muslims, the danger is I know quite a lot. And if you're not careful, you can sort of bring all that knowledge perhaps to bear on the conversation and be tempted when a Muslim says they believe something to say, actually, no, I don't think you believe that. You believe something else. Um, if you're listening to this and you don't know anything about Islam, but you've got Muslim neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, you know, a great, great way to begin a conversation, Randy, is find an opportunity to, to sit down for a cup of coffee. If it's a next door neighbor, invite them for, invite them for a meal. So many Muslims tell me they've never seen inside a Christian home. No one's ever shown them hospitality. Well, let's show them hospitality. Mm. And then you have the ability just very naturally to say, look, I hope you don't mind me asking. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I understand you're a Muslim. I know lots about my own faith, but I don't know what Muslims believe. Mm. What, what do you believe? Uh, tell me what you believe about God and so forth. And just ask lots of questions. Genuinely, you're taking an interest, which they will value, so you're building the friendship. Secondly, you'll get a crash course in Islam from your friend. Mm. And thirdly, there is every chance after half an hour or so of you asking lots of good follow-up questions that your Muslim friend will naturally say to you, so what do you believe or what mm. do Christians believe? Yeah. And if they don't, actually, after half an hour or so, it's actually that point. I think you've earned the, you've earned the respect and the conversation to say, no, this is interesting. As a Christian, yeah, we believe some things that are similar, but some things that are very different. And... Um, and now you're just talking about faith. And at that level, I would say, don't start out by going, well, you're wrong. Let me tell you three reasons why you're wrong. You can simply mm. go, well, okay, as, as a Christian, I believe something a little bit different. Mm. Um, but yeah, that approach of just asking good questions. And actually, Randy, that's the approach I use when I meet people from faiths I haven't studied. If I meet people who are from a Buddhist tradition, so Hindu tradition, I haven't studied those religions. I'm in exactly the same position as most listeners here would be with a Muslim. And I just take the approach of going, oh, okay. I remember, you know, a few months ago meeting someone who self-identified as Wiccan, you know, and I was like, what? I, I know the word. I've no idea what. And so I just said, oh, I don't know what that means. Tell me mm. what that means. Yeah. I regularly talk about uh, all of the resources that we put together at the C.S. Lewis Institute. I want to highlight one right now. Uh, it's our Keeping the Faith. And it is a whole library and collection of resources for you, parents and grandparents. It's a whole entire program with courses and materials uh, that have been developed to equip you, parents and grandparents and other caring adults, for intentional discipleship of the children that God has placed in your life. And um, uh, this, we've got videos, we've got articles, we've got study courses. Uh, this is one of the things we've, we've made as a major emphasis on our newly designed, award-winning uh, website. And I really want to encourage you to check it out. And even if you are not um, a parent, um, that you'll check it out and recommend it to the parents that you know, or perhaps use it at your church in Sunday school. There, it's a wealth of things. Uh, resources for uh, equipping the next generation of disciples. There's so much ingrained, I think, in at least American culture. I don't know how it is over in the UK, but 
There, there's this mantra we've we've heard a million times that all religions are basically the same. Yeah. They're just different paths up the same mountain, um, which, which is which is just so totally not true. I mean, it's not even close to true. But people have have mm. believed that for so long that when when we say, well, what do you believe? Here's what I believe. The, the, one of the first steps is, well, aren't these two very very different sets yes. of beliefs? And just let the beliefs stand out there as very different. Uh, Christianity is rather different from Islam. Here's, here's how. Before we're even getting anywhere near of, here's why yours is not as good as mine, or here's why yours is wrong and mine is right. It's just, let's just yeah. observe these two very different worldviews. I completely agree with you. I mean, that, that idea is, is rampant in the... Um in the UK as well. I wish it was just a, a US problem because then we could solve it by having you guys just rejoin the Commonwealth. Um, <laughs> but it's sure, that would be great. It, it would work well, right? You know, make America Great Britain again. And um, <laughs> But no, I think it's the, the same for us. What I find fascinating, you're, you're dead right. I think when I hear people say that, that all religions are essentially the same, that tells me they haven't really studied them. You know, if I, if I was, you know, if I was to say to you, you know, I don't, there's no point going and visiting the local bookstore because every every book in Barnes and Noble is exactly the same. Publishers are just trying to cheat us out of our money. You wouldn't <laughs> sit there and go, "How wise, how profound!" You go, "You blithering idiot! You haven't read any of them, have you?" Because the moment you do, you'd see that there are differences. Um, the other fun analogy I, I find is 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 helpful here to make people just think a little bit about that one that you raise is um is it's fa it fascinates me that they that the that things um, that are actually wildly different are really the same. We wouldn't apply that philosophy in any other area of life. A little thought experiment I've sometimes used with people, because humor can help sort of puncture some of these things without it getting too fraught. You just say, look, if you were to, you know, if you were to go and see your, your family doctor, you know, complaining of sort of stomach pains, and your doctor does some prodding and poking, and then looks at you, a bit ashen face, and says, well, you know, uh, Mr. Newman, I'm afraid, you know, you've got a very serious medical condition that if we don't treat this, um, you're going to be dead in three months. And you go, oh, doctor, is there anything we can do? And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, that's great. We, we, can, we can treat it. We just need to start the treatment now. And you say, well, doctor, what should I, what should I do? And the doctor goes, well, oh, hang on. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to tell you what to do. That, gosh, that's very arrogant and exclusivist. Actually, if you come around to my side of the desk, Mr. Newman, I'll open my drawer here, and there's a whole drawer full of pills, some yellow ones and some pink ones and some red ones. Maybe avoid the blue ones. Um, you know, take a handful, whichever ones you think work for you, because they're all essentially the same. Oh. Would we go, oh, doctor, thank you. That's so <laughs> progressive. Would you go, you crazy man, tell me, the, tell me what's real. <laughs> and I love that kind of sort of versions of that story because I think at the end of the day, we would say we wouldn't apply the, the all things are essentially the same in any other area of our life. So why do we do it when it comes to, mm. when it comes to religion? Well, um, uh, I, I want to somehow uh, interject and say to our listeners, I, I wouldn't use uh, you blithering idiot in any kind of apologetic or evangelist <laughs> thing, but so... Um, I was being self-deprecating. I was using it on myself. Uh, oh, oh, okay, good. Um, but yes, don't, do not use it on others. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, so now it's time for us to, uh, at least for me, to alert our readers to a, a, a great book that you should know about. You don't necessarily have to read the whole book, you just need to know the argument, but... Um, it's a very important work by Stephen Prothero. Do you know the, do you know the name? God is not one. Yes. yes. Uh, professor of religious studies up at Boston University, I, I think. I think so. Um, uh, not a Christian, not a religious man, but he's a study, a professor of, of religious studies. And he says that the, all the great religions of the world are not the same. 
And it's insulting to the different religions to say that they're all the same. And, and you're right, it's usually, those statements are usually made by people who haven't really looked at the individual religions. Prothoros says they're not just paths up the same mountain, they're not even on the same mountain. I think that's very helpful, yeah. So, but again, going back to Islam, so you've given us some ideas about yes. getting to know uh, Muslims, inviting them into your home, ask them what they believe, tell them what you believe, let the differences stand out there. Um, uh, I know for me, now I come from a Jewish background and I interact with Jewish people and it, it does seem to me that there is a similarity with talking to Jewish people and talking to Muslim people that there's very often a very, very, very big question behind any of the other questions and that is, if I believe this, my family's going to reject me. What, how, that's not even a question, but it's this huge objection of if I believe this, uh, I'm going to be excommunicated or, or mm. shunned or, or something really horrible from my family, my community. And um, so, so how, how do we as Christians, yeah. as we're engaging with Muslim friends and neighbors, how, how do we deal with that reality? I think you're, you are absolutely right, Randy, that it is the big um, elephant in the room behind conversations. So, yes, yeah, certainly I would agree with, Jew with Jewish friends as well as Muslim friends, and actually friends from other faith traditions as well. I mean, some years ago now, I had uh, you know, very good friends um, with, a, with, a, with a young couple, and the wife, uh, she, she and her, when she was a teenager, her family had been in the Jehovah's Witnesses and had come out and were shunned completely. You know, it was a horrific experience. And I'm thinking, oh, that's really interesting um, that it goes on there too. So it's quite widespread. And right at the start, actually, let's let's name the name that elephant. Christians are not immune from this. Let's be very careful that when we have people in our, in our communities who perhaps fall away from following Christ, that we do not behave that way, that we extend mm, love and grace okay. and welcome, because it's very easy to point the finger at Islam and go, oh, look what they do. Christians are not immune from this. Mm, so we just need to watch that important. one. Um, in terms of dealing with it with our friends when we're talking with them, Randy, I've always found uh, with, with, with Muslims to try and get that issue out in the open early um, can be helpful. Um, one of my friends who is himself a former Muslim uh, convert to Christ says that you know one of the questions he finds helpful and I've, I've borrowed variations of this myself is when you're talking to a Muslim friend at the right moment don't, don't lead with this on, on, on the first conversation but at the right moment in the conversation to say to them something like you know if you were to become a Christian if you were to become convinced that, that Jesus claims stand up and he is who, who, the, who he claims to be in the New Testament and you were to put your, your trust in him and, and follow him, what would happen next? Do you think, uh, would, your, would your family kind of throw a big party and there'd be a big celebration? <laughs> you know, do that with a twinkle in your eye because that gives your friend the, the opportunity to either quietly begin processing or even sometimes to go, well, yeah, I'm not sure they'd be so happy. And then once it's out in the open, actually, you can begin dealing with the, with, with the power of that because I think sometimes with Muslims, the, other, the arguments are, are out there, oh, I couldn't believe the Trinity, the Bible was being corrupted, all these other things that Muslims will go to, but behind them is a much bigger issue, and so we want to be talking about that bigger issue. Once we've kind of talked it through and brought it out and identified it, the challenge is you can't really, you can't really argue around it because it's a, a reality that if they become a Christian there are going to be some implications. What we then therefore need to be doing is thinking about in, in the church, how do we, if the person chooses to follow Christ, they are going to lose their family or risk losing their family. What is the church going to do in terms of being an alternative family? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I know a lot of Muslim converts to Christianity find very hard is they come from very tight-knit communities and they, sometimes, they, become, they become Christians and they find the church 
doesn't do community so well. You know, sometimes our churches are just places where you turn up on a Sunday and people are very friendly and warm, and then you don't see them until the following Sunday. And that is absolutely alien uh, to, to a Muslim mind, probably to the Jewish kind of um, community as well. And I think there's a real challenge for us as Christians that if we are going to make an impact and inroads into reaching Muslims for Christ, how do we be family? How do we really do community well? How do we put those alternative support structures in? And what's exciting, when the churches do that, I think amazing things happen. Um, you know, when you look at what's going on, particularly among, say, Iranians right now, there's an amazing work of God among Iranians. The, the Iranians are the fastest growing church in the world right oh now. My. Wow. Um, but one mm. of the things being is a lot of churches now have Iranian communities because yes. they tend to clump yeah. together. And they do community really well, yeah. which means when other Iranian Muslims become, become Christians, there is an immediate family to replace what they have, yes. they have lost. Right. So those are sort of how I'd begin thinking around an answer. Good. Good. We here at the C.S. Lewis Institute are delighted to tell you um, our newly redesigned website has been given an award. We're an early winner of the Gold Award by the .com Awards uh, Agency. Uh, they uh, hand out very few of these awards for excellence in web creativity and digital communication. This year's competition was had entrants from 2,500 entries or, or even more, designers, developers, content producers. I mean, it was it was amazing, and we are so very grateful that we were given this award. Uh, we thank you uh, for your prayers for this ministry and support for our ministry. This uh, redesign took a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of money. And we would love for you to be joining us as a financial supporter of our ministry for paying for these kinds of things, and also the great materials that we produce and the events that we do. So please prayerfully consider, if you're not a regular monthly supporter of our ministry, we'd love to have you as a partner in that way. Um, or if it's only uh, uh, occasional gifts, we take those too. But we really need uh, your help so we hope that you can go to our website, cslewisinstitute.org forward slash give. Thanks. Yeah, I remember reading in um, Moish Rosen's book about witnessing to Jewish people. Uh, Moish started Jews for Jesus and uh, came up with a really clever title for his book on witnessing to Jewish people. It's called Witnessing to Jews. Very, very clever. Um, uh, he said that with many conversations, sooner or later, you need, to, you need to raise the question that they will never raise. And it's something like, you would, something like um, I realize this would be very, very difficult for you. Um, are you willing to consider that Jesus might be the Messiah, even if it means rejection from your family or the Jewish community? Are you willing to consider this? Are you willing to pursue this? And, and it's, this, it's this crucial moment of where, where you're asking people to consider pursuing the truth no matter what the cost is. And, and we must be very, very, very careful, I mean, this is especially true with Muslims, of not downplaying that potential danger. Um, in fact, the danger is probably far worse than anything we can imagine. Uh, so, but, but, but I think there are a lot of people who because of the, the self-authenticating nature of truth, especially the gospel truth, people are willing to say, well, yeah, this could be really difficult, or uh, I'm going to pursue it anyway. And it's, it's like this, 
this roadblock has been has been yeah. lifted. Yeah, and you know, there's a, there's a, there's a there's a there's a couple of thoughts there, aren't there? I think one one thought um, immediately. Um, well, actually, both challenges to us. My first thought, of course, is that I think sometimes in those conversations, it can be helpful to show that you're willing to do the same too. And so sometimes with Muslims saying, oh, well, let's good, talk good. about truth together. Right. As you say, have the kind of, would you be willing to? And then to say, don't get all cocky about it, be, be humble and say, I hope as we talk, you know, that if I was to come to the conclusion that, that Jesus is not the Messiah, that he didn't rise from the dead, I hope I would have the courage to, 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 oh, wow. to act accordingly. Mm. Because we shouldn't be afraid of that. Because as Christians, we would surely want to be saying, Paul, that's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ right. is not risen from the grave. And then you're showing a sort of epistemic humility hmm. um, of saying, look, I, I'm equally willing to pursue truth. I've had that conversation with Muslims over the years and found it quite helpful, actually, to say, look, I want to know what's true. I think Jesus is true. But if I've got that wrong, I, want to, I really want to know because I want to know God, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell, and I want the same for you, my friend, I want you to go to heaven and not to go to hell, that's mm. the first thing. And then the other sort of thought, very quickly, in terms of what you just shared there, the other thing I found fascinating talking with Muslims over the years, but particularly Muslim converts to Christianity, is it always challenges me, Randy, when I meet people who have paid a price for their Christian faith. Mm -hmm. um, Muslims who've, who've, have to, who've lost family, um, Perhaps, you know, friends who've become Christians from the LGBT community who have had to give up quite a lot, actually, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. become Christians. And it's a sobering challenge for those of us who have not, perhaps not come from those backgrounds mm. to go, what is the cost that I've paid? Because mm. if the gospel hasn't cost us anything, you know, how really committed are we? And so mm. it's been a real personal discipleship challenge to me, I think, getting to know people who, wow, they have really paid a price for following Christ. Um, it's quite sobering. Very helpful. All right, so there's some resources out there that people can find uh, either uh, websites or books about how to talk to Muslims. And then, uh, secondly, uh, resources to give to our Muslim friends. Do you have any that off yeah, the top so, of your head? Yes, off the top of my head. So um, the, the, by far the best book I, I think I know in terms of how we can share our faith uh, with our Muslim friends. This is a wonderful little book by a colleague of mine in Oxford called Nick Chatrath, C-H-A-T-R-A-T-H, Nick Chatrath. And Nick's book is called Reaching uh, Muslims, A One-Stop Guide for Christians. Mm, and it's a great. wonderfully uh, thin little book. It's a real virtue in books that authors don't feel the need to write 400 pages. Nick's book's about 150 pages. And it's brilliant. It's really easy to read, very relational, very friendly. And whether you've been a, you know, whether you've got n lots of experience of talking to Muslims uh, or no experience talking to Muslims, it's a great um, book to begin with. And then to be honest, in terms of the best thing to be giving to Muslims, I actually think, and this is gonna sound a horrible cliche, but actually getting them into the scriptures is the best thing. And so one way of doing that is you get to know your Muslim friend. A great way of having those conversations is to say, hey, why don't we you know, meet for coffee and why don't we do a Quran and, and Bible study? By which I mean, why don't you bring, why don't you share with, come and share with me your favorite Quran verse? I'd love to, to hear what that means to you. Mm. And then I'll share with my favorite Bible verse mm. and we can talk about what our scriptures mean to us. Often those conversations end up talking about the Bible far more than they do the Quran. Huh. Um, you know, and choose your Bible passage wisely. And then as you've got your Muslim friend dipping into scripture, I'd, I'd be looking for the opportunity when, you know, an appropriate point um, in your relationship, you can give them a gift of one of the Gospels. If your friend's an Arabic speaker, get an Arabic uh, copy of the Scriptures. Mm, good, um, good. Kind of thing. And then you can give it to them with a, saying, look, you know, you're, a, you're my friend, I, I, I value our friendship dearly, and I wanted to give you a gift that reflected this. Well, this is the mo almost the most precious thing I can give you. Mm, um, very I good. I thought you'd enjoy this. And um, 
And then I think that's, yeah, because I mean, arguments are helpful and books are helpful, but actually I want to see our Muslim friends come to just begin encountering Jesus in the Gospels. Oh, and so again, remember good. our Muslim friends are not like atheists. They're not anti-scripture. They may have some suspicion about the Christian scriptures, but they believe that God reveals himself. They believe in scripture. They believe, uh, you know, in, in revelation and so forth. So yeah, I think I would go for the Good. For one of the Gospels. I love the way you said about giving them one of the Gospels, or or I, I guess you could also give the whole New Testament. You could do the whole New Testament, whole Bible, yeah. yeah. But whichever it is, but you don't, it's not casual. It's not like, oh, hey, you should read this. Absolutely not. It's more of, okay, this is, uh, I, I value our friendship. Um, I want to give you a gift, and I want to give you something that's that's one that the most precious thing to me. Um, I think sometimes we... Um, uh, harm that whole process by being a little too casual, yep. and and if and if it's that casual, then then we're 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 sort of undermining our own argument of this really isn't all that big a deal here, and you know it's a cheap paperback I'm giving you. No, no, I, I want to. This is something that's so very very mm. precious to me. That's good. It's good. Well, we could talk for hours and hours, but we're not going to um, <laughs> because uh, we have other things to do and. Uh, uh, the the t the whole task about uh, talking to Muslims is it's so it's so vast, but I the one thing um, I I want to encourage our readers start the uh, readers listeners excuse me um, uh, start the process who knows where it's going to go who knows how God will use it start the process of talking to Muslim friends asking them what they believe inviting them for a meal you don't have to have the whole thing figured out ahead of time there's no way you could. And, and ask God to use those small steps to use them in really, really big ways. Hmm. I think that's good advice, uh, Randy, and for listeners in, uh, listening to this, I would simply say, well, a great way to begin, why don't you just pray that the Lord would bring, the Lord would have you uh, work, hmm. engage with Muslims, that he would bring a Muslim across your path or to your mind, and, uh, and then see who the Lord shows up. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for being part of our podcast. We great to be with love you. the conversations. Uh, we hope all of our resources here at the C.S. Lewis Institute help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind.